Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans on today's Australian Open semi-finals catch-up. Daniel Medvedev conquers Sitsipas to set up a final showdown with Novak Djokovic. Naomi Osaka meets Jen Brady after ousting Serena Williams. And Joe Salisbury is through to the men's doubles final with a win over Jamie Murray. Kim, the two weeks of the Australian Open is nearly up. Finals weekend is upon us. And I guess after a mid-tournament kind of fan lockdown, some big upsets and a fair few abdominal injuries along the way, we've got our four finalists. We've got Jen Brady, Naomi Osaka, Novak Djokovic and Daniel Medvedev. Those are our our final four across the the men and and women's draws. We're going to be talking about those finals, previewing them in this episode as well as talking a bit about the doubles. But just very quickly, let's start off with that as your final four. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Were you were you expecting that at the start of the tournament? How do you how do you see that as a final as a final group? Yeah, to be quite honest with you, I think I was expecting at least three of those names in the finals. Uh, Jen Brady's probably the only one that you know you, you perhaps would have I don't know put a bit of money on her getting there, but not you know not she wouldn't have been number one on the list, but. Yeah, I think despite all the kind of drama and especially injury drama that's been going on and we've actually had a very predictable outcome, I suppose, which which actually is is often the way, you know, you can kind of look at all these matchups in the draw and, you know, gush over particular five set thrillers and speculate to, you know, kingdom come. But at the end of the day, sometimes you know that Novak Djokovic, for example, is going to end up in an Australian Open final <laughs> at the end of the two weeks. So, yeah. It's been a funny one because despite all of the, you know, the shenanigans that has gone on, I feel like the, the biggest surprise is like the fact that there's been no surprise when it comes to, to finals weekend. I mean, Jennifer Brady and Naomi Osaka arguably are two of the best hardcore players in the in the women's game at the moment you just got to go back to the US Open last season to to see that and then as you said Novak Djokovic Rod Laver Arena it is his court it is his territory it is his kind of Philip Chatrier to, to Rafael Nadal and then you've got Daniel Medvedev who has been you know he's really kind of backed up the form at the you know the back end of last season he's followed it up at the start of this season he's really kind of taken that through to the Australian Open. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of uh, in, in agreement with you in that this, although, you know, we've had a few sort of bumps in the road, uh, you know, from qualifying in, in Doha all the way through up to, to finals weekend, regardless of kind of all of that and, you know, quarantine, hard quarantine, um, you know, injuries, etc., it does feel like we do have, uh, you know, a group of, of players that, you know, at the start of the two weeks, you could have probably probably predicted and uh, you know and and your predictions would have come true 
Yeah, and actually, it's interesting that you mentioned the quarantine point, because, of course, there was a lot of debate about the different types of quarantine coming into the tournament. And I think what's really interesting, actually, is that in the women's final, which we will get on to preview in a bit, you know, you've got Osaka versus Brady, who had very different experiences. You know, Brady was stuck in a room for 14 days. She was part of the hard quarantine. And Osaka was that kind of more privileged group that were able to quarantine in Adelaide, you know, with the kind of extra privileges that that gave them. So it's interesting that they've both made their way through. And I guess it just goes to show that, you know, just because you're maybe in a hard quarantine, it's not necessarily a given that you can't then, you know, perform really well at the slam. And it's, yeah, I just I just think it's quite interesting, actually, when you look back to how they um, how they started off their, their time in Australia. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know if that will have an impact come the final. I think the we'll get onto this as I said but I think it probably won't to be honest but um yeah it's, we, we obviously have seen that it has had some impact with with injuries but I mean let's begin shall we Joel by like talking about the women's um final and let's let's look back to the, the two semi-finals that we had because I know that you were well we were both very excited obviously for Osaka against Serena and you, you were, I think predicting a Serena victory on that one, weren't you? Because, I mean, I yeah. think Serena had been at this stage of the Australian Open, I think, nine times before and and never lost at, at the semi-final stage. But, well, Naomi Osaka has inflicted a first Australian Open semi-final defeat on Serena in straight sets as well. I mean, something was going to give, wasn't it, between, you know, in that match? Because Serena Williams' record, you know, in Australian Open semi-finals, very formidable. Naomi Osaka's record beyond the fourth round of a Grand Slam is also kind of ridiculous as well. So it, it felt like something was going to give. And yeah, it was Serena Williams's kind of, I guess, stature, uh, 6-3, 6-4 to Osaka. And really, I think kind of, the best it got really for for Serena Williams was you know right at the start I mean she she started well and uh, you know broke and then held serve went to love up and I think despite really kind of maybe a little blip in the the second set for Osaka she almost kind of steamrolled steamrolled through and it, the the manner of the the victory for me was was very impressive. Completely different circumstances from their you know last Grand Slam match at that U.S. Open final, which proved to be kind of so controversial. But I think really the story here is actually, I mean, even I think the you know the you know the most passionate Serena Williams fans will have to admit that this was such a you know this was such a good performance for Osaka, and she made dare I say she made Serena Williams look quite ordinary. Oh, Serena Williams looking ordinary. That's a bold statement. <laughs> I know. I didn't want to say that, but I, 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 I genuinely, I do feel you. If you watch mm. the match and you watch the highlights, Osaka was just, you know, it was just really, she was just really, really good. And I don't think it helps. Of course, they've got similar styles from the back mm. of the court with, you know, power and shot making and big first serves. But I think that just shows you that Osaka really is here to kind of, I think, assume that sort of, aura that Serena Williams has built up over you know the last decade plus or, or how long and after this match I do think you know particularly on a hard court she's she is ready now to assume that that place there right at the very top yeah I think it's a bit of a bad matchup now for Serena you know they do have very similar games and Osaka basically did everything that Serena did but better in mm. that match and therefore there could only be one outcome and yeah Osaka had a few signs of nerves in in that second set. She 
put I think three double faults in, in in one service game to allow Serena to break back but then her response to that was winning the last eight points of the match and you know immediately breaking Serena to love and then holding it out to love so she knows exactly when to step it up and we saw that in the fourth round against Muguruza when she saved those match points and then won the last four games and that is what big champions do and she she is quickly becoming you know obviously she is already a multiple time slam champion but I mean I don't think anyone would say that she's probably not going to win the final tomorrow I think she'll be racking up hardcore slams left right and center for the next few years um, barring any kind of major injury and she's now on a 20 match winning streak which actually you know you forget because um, she didn't play after the US Open last year so Technically, she hasn't lost a match uh, for a very, very long time. And it doesn't look likely to change anytime soon, I have to say. I do think that she is the number one player now on a, on a hard court. Mm. Yeah, and, and the fact that she, you know, she's essentially done the US Open and Australian Open back to back on, on hard courts and has reached the final at least at, at both of them. Obviously, she won the US Open. She's got the chance to win the Australian Open. It just shows to me that she has now become the number one player on the hard court. There might be, I think there's still obviously questions about whether she can, uh, you know, take that success that she's built on a hard court and take that to a clay court, take that to a grass court. I think that's probably the next, the next challenge for her because she really is, I think, in, in a, in a world, in, well, arguably she's in a world of her own, um, you know, on a, on a hard court. And I think kind of what, of what one thing that has really kind of impressed me over the last kind of couple of weeks that she's been working with, uh, with her coach, Vim Fissett, is that her, her mental, uh, the mental side of a game has really, really improved. And you talked about the fact that she's able to kind of, you know, seize the initiative, seize the control and kind of really step it up when it is necessary and take the, the game away from, you know, her opponent. And she was able to do that in this match. I think, you know, particularly at the end when, as you said, she won the last eight points of the match. And for me, that's, I think, the most impressive thing about her a game and how it's developed is that she's able to, be so ruthless and you know she might have grown up respecting Serena Williams as this grand slam multi you know multi-time grand slam champion world number one etc but now she it's like yes I respect her but and yes I might think she's a legend but once I step on court with her you know I'm not I'm going to be ruthless and come that kind of second set and the, and the business end of it 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 was it was exactly that it was just kind of ruthless i don't almost almost like, i don't care who you are i don't know i don't care how many grand slams you won i want to win this match and that's exactly what she did yeah you can't be a fan girl can you when you're in a semi final of a grand no. slam you know despite how much you might admire the person on the other side of the net but i think what's interesting as well is that asaka you know she's been you know working with women for set for a while now and she's been really trying to work on her return game because i think she had this attitude before of you know she could she could hold pretty easily you know she's got a really good first serve but when it came to the return game she just wasn't getting as much in play and almost not focusing as much on on kind of breaking I suppose um and I think that's something they've really been working on in the off season um I think that really showed in this match against Serena as well and just able to um you know get so much more back in play and and obviously give herself a much um, higher chance of breaking the opponent's serve with every service game. So I think um, that's that's really shown up. And I think like she's just got a really good attitude, like continual 
improvement like which which we know the greats have they don't just sort of sit on their laurels and think right got a few slams under my belt I'm being (laughs) being number one in the world I'm just going to sit back and relax like she wants to literally be as best as as she possibly can be and it's that kind of continual Mm. kind of mindset that is really really impressive I think, you know, maybe 12 months ago, I think with some of these kind of matches at the kind of the business ends of the tournament, she almost kind of went into them with, she would put kind of, I think, the, the almost the weight of the world on her shoulders and almost kind of live and die by the sword of the, the result of the match. But I feel like over again, you know, with her, you know, with Vimverset on her side in her team, I feel like now she's a bit more relaxed and doesn't necessarily have that weight of expectation and because of that she's able to be a lot more free and kind of focus on her shots and doesn't have that sort of unnecessary pressure that can affect the you know the result of a match and it was just again it was just a very impressive and and dominating performance that even someone in the caliber of Serena Williams who you know was playing really good tennis this week um you know let's not forget that Serena Williams didn't play a bad match but Naomi Osaka, essentially, she didn't let Serena Williams play a good match. Absolutely. Um, since that Muguruza kind of, you know, having two match points, Osaka's been completely kind of unbeatable since. And I just felt there was something about that Muguruza match where if she came through that, like, I just felt the title mm. was hers. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, let's have a word on Serena because like you said, she did play some really good tennis this week. She did look like her fitness was there, that she was moving really well as well compared to, you know, some of the other slams that we've seen since she came back from, you know, having her her child. But I mean, in her press conference, you know, she was she was sort of asked about, you know, yeah, it was the, hard to watch, the wasn't end. It? Yeah. And, and it's just interesting. She said that, you know, if, the, if she ever did say farewell, that she wouldn't tell anyone. So what do you take from that? Do you, does that imply that if she is going to retire, she just kind of would do it all of a sudden and not have a victory mm. tour like you know the Brian brothers um had and it would be very kind of right I'm done goodbye yeah I think uh, that's the kind of takeout I got from it is that she might do it as a bit more kind of low-key wouldn't announce it so far in advance maybe for example you know if the Olympics do happen this year maybe she would want to go out playing doubles with you know for for the United States with her sister I, mm. I don't know but it, it I get the impression that um, you know when it when it does when it does kind of come to that moment when you know time has to be called um, maybe she wants to be a bit more low-key and just kind of let almost kind of fade out and not make a big kind of song and dance about it I think she's probably getting sick of all the kind of you know rhetoric around the quest for the the 24th slam and, and is that ever going to happen and I think you know a match like this I think kind of showed her that you know it's going to be really hard to do that uh, on at the US Open and at the the Australian Open because Osaka just seems to have her number on a you know on a hard court and Naomi Osaka is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon and you know she's going to have to probably go through her in order to you know in order to win and that feels like maybe it's still an opportunity for her at Wimbledon um, or maybe even at the French Open but you still I still feel like you know if it's now achievable. It feels like Wimbledon, maybe, maybe Kim, maybe Wimbledon is the last, maybe it's a lot, dare I say, last chance saloon because on a hard court right now, she's not the best, she's not the best 
not the best player in the world. Kim, arguably, she's not even the best American player on a hardcore at the moment. Oh, that's that's going some, isn't it? But yeah, we we do have Jen Brady in the final, and like she came through against Carolina Mukova in, in that semi final. That was a bit of a upsy upsy downy match. <laughs> six four three six six four. Um, very edgy at the end, especially. I mm. think Brady needed five match points, um, and she had to save three breaks break points from McAverter to get over the finish line. And she thought she'd won um, a few points before, but her backhand had actually been called long. So um, she finally managed to get over the finish line. But yeah, very um, nervy. I think both of the first two sets ended on a double fall as well, which I thought, you know, they're both obviously feeling, feeling the nerves, feeling the, the tension of, you know, the magnitude of the situation. Maybe for, for different reasons, because obviously that was Mukova's first mm. semi-final, but maybe Brady felt the pre- a little bit more pressure in terms of, you know, I've been here before. Can I go one step further? And that may, that I think did show in, in the match, as you said. I think the first two sets were quite, um, you know, we've seen better. I think we've seen better tennis from them. And, you know, Brady had... 30 unforced errors and she will she will need to sorry she had 30 unforced errors in the first two sets alone she's not gonna be able to she's not gonna be able to afford to do that against uh naomi osaka so it definitely was there was nerves there and i think it definitely showed in the in the match i think like you said though actually i was thinking oh will she be this nervous in the final you you really can't afford to to be that nervous but she is going in clearly as the underwhelming underwhelming Sorry, overwhelming underdog, <laughs> not the underwhelming <laughs> overdog. <laughs> Actually, that's a thought. Is if there's an underdog, is there an overdog? Is is that a thing? Wow. But I don't is that know. Naomi Osaka. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an overdog. Um, but yeah. So actually, like when you just have nothing to lose, like it's your first Grand Slam final. The person down the other end of the net is, you know, clearly everyone's fancying her to win. Like you just got to go for it. And actually, I think Brady. That's probably what she really needs. She just needs to play lights out and and I guess we saw that when the, when she played Osaka in the semi-final at the US Open she just really went for it and really took it to Osaka and that was a, a fantastic match and I would love something along those lines tomorrow in the final I, I really don't want it to be you know a damp nervy squib of a match but I think Jim Brady is a deserved finalist and I hope that she's kind of got all her edginess out of the way in this semi-final with, with Mukova and I hope we get a really, yeah, tantalising matchup tomorrow. I mean, Kim, just a word on Jen Brady because we had an American in the final last year in in Kenin, and, and you know mm. Brady's kind of continuing that tradition. And you know, we probably thought at the start of the tournament, if there was one female American that was going to be in the final, arguably we were probably thinking Serena Williams or maybe Kenin. Uh, I don't think. Maybe we're thinking Jen Brady could get to the quarters or semi, but really impressive from her. And I think really it's just a testament really to how good I think Americans, women's tennis particularly, is in in health at the moment because it's almost very much in stark contrast, I feel, to kind of the men because on the women's side, you've got you know players like Brady, uh, Pegula, Jessica Pegula, Shelby Rogers. Uh, I think Bernarda Perra beat Angelique Kerber as well, um, you know, in, in the first week. Um, and and Lee, who we, we who oh, we've yes. spoken about and as well. Lee. Yeah, I mean, lots of lots of really good showings, I think, from 
the American women. And I think this is just, uh, you know, almost a, a, the, the, the best, the crowning achievement of that. The fact that Jennifer Brady, um, is in, is in the final. And then you've got the, on the men's side, I mean, only Mackenzie McDonald kind of got to the, the second week. So, you know, there's a real big kind of a contrast there. And I don't, I, you know, American listeners, I'm not, let us know why you think that is, why, you know, you've got all these kind of, female players, women's players coming through at the moment and all kind of, I think, achieving their potential. Whereas on the men's side, there's a bit of a, it feels like there's a bit of bit of a dearth at the moment. Yeah, it'll be interesting to get the perspective of, of American um, fans to, as to why that, that might be. And and yeah, I, I guess it's really, it is quite promising, all this young cohort, um, mm. Coco Goff as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's just so many. And I mean, we Madison Keys is still flying around, isn't she? But I think she's she's injured at the moment. Sloane Stevens. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, this again. It's like if 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 someone doesn't perform, it feels like there's someone already there to kind of step it up. And I feel like you know Pegula, Brady, and Rogers all kind of stepped it up this week. And you know, I don't know if it's because the, you know these again. I don't know if, for example, these conditions, this type of court in Australia, even though it is in Australia, feels very similar to you know what. The, you know what these uh, court surfaces that these American players have been brought up on in the United States, whether that's you know in juniors or in the college system or, or whatever. But I, I do I do wonder whether the kind of the conditions in Australia and in Melbourne Park have been quite similar, maybe to Flushing Meadow conditions, and and that has actually helped players um you know american players who've almost kind of grown up on on that surface and also asaka you know she grew up basically in america didn't she in in florida i think and actually i think jen brady was saying uh, in her you know post-match conference the other day that she she used to play asaka when they were at junior level tournaments in in florida so she knows like asaka fairly well i think she used to play her and and asaka's sister um in the kind of younger tournaments which is Quite interesting that now, you know, many years later, they are playing in a Grand Slam final. And I mean, let's just look at the final because I just think for me, as well as Jen Brady's playing, if you look at the calibre of the opponents that she's played up to now, you know, the highest ranked player was Carolina Mukova. Uh, she hasn't had to play anyone inside the top 25. I think, as I know she knows what it's like to play against Osaka. She did that at the US Open and performed very well. But I just think it's... A, a massive level up from, you know, the Donna Vekic's of the world. And I just, I just think that that's kind of for me, if, if Jen Brady had like three big wins or something over, I don't know, top 10 seeds on, on the way here, I just, maybe I'd be giving her a bit more of a chance tomorrow. <laughs> but I mean, and Osaka's draw has been really ridiculous. I think, you know, she had such a tough, like first couple of rounds alone and she came through them so easily which just shows what form she's in, really. There's no doubt that Osaka kind of goes into it as the, the overwhelming, overwhelming favourite as a multiple-time slam champion. Her record, uh, you know, quarterfinals are beyond at slabs is also very, um, you know, obviously very dominating. She's undefeated. It's going to take Jennifer Brady in, in the form of her life, I feel, to, uh, you know, to upset that. And I think you are right in the, in the sense that, you know, her, her run to the, the final hasn't really included any sort of big, like really big, big scalps. Whereas Naomi Osaka, she had that real battle against Muguruza in, in round four. You know, we said at the time that felt like a Grand Slam final. And, and Muguruza, I think, 
it's a bit of a shame she went out in the round four because she will be looking at she might be looking back at that match thinking you know if I if I had one taken one of those match points I could be I could be in the final I, you know, and given the way she, she was playing I wouldn't have doubted that but you know we've got this Osaka Brady final and they had that you know they had that match in the US Open semis last year it was a lot of kind of everyone sort of match of the year candidate even even winner so if they're both on form I think from the baseline and they can keep their unforced errors down I think we could be in for a bit of a popcorn yeah I mean it could be winners left right and center but it could also be unforced errors left right and center and I just wonder with Jen Brady that with someone like Naomi Osaka across the net whether she might try and be too aggressive and Mm. as a result of that might you know push the you know push the the dial up on the unforced errors and that might play into Osaka's hands yeah we we see that quite a lot don't we sort of think oh you know this player's not gonna miss she's got so much I've really got to go for it and Mm. hit, hit those lines and it kind of can go a bit haywire sometimes but we we will see. I mean, predictions, Joel. Is it is it a bit pointless? I know you're going to say Osaka, <laughs> but perhaps you can guess the number of sets uh, or games, perhaps that she might. You think I'm going with Osaka? Do you? Okay. Yeah, from the last twenty minutes of conversation, I would assume <laughs> so. Well, as I said, I went with Azarenka at the beginning, so I'm going <laughs> to definitely have to change my predictions. Um, I think I think you're right. I think Brady. I don't think she will be as nervous going into this final um, because, as you said, she goes into it as an underdog, whereas in that Mukova match, she felt it was more of a 50-50 and maybe she felt like she, you know, this was going to be her one shot to kind of get into a, you know, a slam final. So she might have had that extra pressure. I don't think that pressure is there and that might help her. Um, (laughs) Having said that, I just feel like you just can't argue against Naomi Osaka on on a hard court at the moment. And I think that, you know that match against Serena Williams, that match against um, that match against Muguruza, I think has done her, uh, you know, a really good kind of service for that in in the second week to make sure that she really is on the top of her game. And Jennifer Brady, I think, is going to have to go to a level she hasn't shown, uh, you know, across her, tw- you know, across her kind of two weeks at the moment to really compete. And I think as a result of that, I think I'm going to have to go Osaka, but maybe. Just to make it a little bit interesting, Kim, I'm going to say Naomi Osaka in, in three sets. Okay, yeah, I I understand where you're coming from. I'm going to say Osaka in two sets. I would love a three set tussle, you know, like we saw at the US Open, but I just think she's she's so on it. I just don't actually think anyone can get close to her this fortnight, really, apart from Muguruza. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Garbina. Uh, um, but yeah, I think Osaka in two. I think it might be quite run of the mill. I hope not. I'd love to have a lovely, you know, breakfast uh, whilst enjoying, you know, a delightful final. I think the big question for Brady is, is she going to be able to move Naomi Osaka around the court? Because I think if there's one thing that she could maybe target, I think it is Naomi Osaka's movement. I don't think she's like one of the best movers and if she can kind of get her kind of forehand firing and moving Naomi Osaka side to side or you know across the baseline I think that might be an opportunity for her to kind of uh, um, maybe win maybe win win a set but I think it's it's going to be a case of who is going to be able to dominate from the the baseline they both have I think quite similar they'll probably have quite similar game plans in it I think it will be come down to a question of who can execute it better 
Yeah, no, we will we'll be looking with uh, much interest tomorrow morning. But we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, do join us in the second half where we'll be looking back on the men's semi-finals. This is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we're going to move on to reflect on the two men's semi-finals, which happened over two days, as they do uh, down under in the Australian Open. Uh, this morning, Joel, we had Daniel Medvedev versus Stefanos Tsitsipas, which, uh, well, Medvedev was two sets up. And at that point, did, did you think that Tsitsipas would do another uh, five-set comeback like he did against Rafa in the quarterfinals? Or were you kind of very sure that Medvedev would get this in, in three sets? It was compelling in a, in a, in a weird way because it was going very similar to that Nadal Sissipas match I think in terms of first two sets very comfortable and then Sissipas was sort of coming back into it uh, you know I think Medvedev was a break up and uh, Sissipas got that break back but Medvedev was you know he shut the door on that and and won that third set in, in seven five you know he won that third set seven five and uh, you know I had a split second in me I think that I was like oh I wonder if Sissipas could take this to a fourth set, but I, I genuinely felt that that was the most he was going to be able to do. I think, you know, that match obviously against Nadal would have taken a lot out of him. He obviously had another five-setter match against Kokinakis in the first week. So, you know, I do wonder if he was a bit um, jaded kind of going into that, whereas, you know, Medvedev, yes, he had that five-set win against Kranjevic, but apart from that, he's just really kind of, business it's always kind of been business as usual and I think he will be pleased that this semi-final as well was business as usual because you know the Australian Open is one of those slams where the semi-finals are played on different days and that was my kind of one concern is that if this was a match that was going to go five and going to last you know four plus hours that was definitely going to benefit you know Novak Djokovic going into the final so I'm kind of glad that it was kind of you know three sets I think Medvedev has been I mean, he's just kind of, he's just shown some, he's just shown great form. I think he's also on a 20 match winning streak like Naomi Osaka. Um, so yeah, it, it bodes really well. And I don't, I don't really think Sissipas really deep down had a chance, um, you know, throughout the match. I just think Medvedev was just operating on another level. Yeah, I agree. And I think for the final to be more competitive, I think, it would have been yeah better for Medvedev to you know to have won this in the straight sets which he did obviously mm. um i think yeah it, it's interesting Sitsipas, you know he didn't actually have a fourth round so you'd think that despite his two five setters that might have evened out his fitness somewhat but yeah he wasn't moving as well um he wasn't as consistent he did have a little little bit of a mini comeback in the third set breaking back but obviously Medvedev was able to to secure at 7-5 in that third set uh, putting any hopes of another yeah. epic comeback to bed but <laughs> do you know I always think the you know I felt like you know the crowd really were you know they're obviously baying for a fourth set they were really craving that when when Sissipas broke back in in the third and I do I do think that there's a bit of I think there's a little bit of like Novak Djokovic in, in Daniel Medvedev in the sense that I do think he likes to play the crowd and and if they are kind of cheering his opponent um then I think that almost riles him up in a, in a good way and I think we saw that I think we saw that in this match you know with with the you know the fans in the crowd um I think they were a bit more sort of pro Sissipas I know there's a bit of a Greek contingent in 
um in melbourne and i think that kind of showed but i actually think that was to kind of medvedev's advantage because i think he likes to just kind of like take on all you know take on all comers take on all factors whether that's the you know the player opposite the fans as well throw them all in he just loves to kind of soak it all up and and kind of take it out on you know take it out on his tennis and he was and he was able to do that I felt a bit sorry for Medvedev because at the beginning when he came onto court, I'm sure, you know, the fans, there was a lot of Greek fans or, you know, Greek Australian <laughs> fans. I'm mm. sure they gave Medvedev a little bit of a boo. And I thought that's a bit rude, isn't it? And that's probably only going to get his back up if he feels he yep. doesn't have the, the support of the crowd. <laughs> so it will be interesting. Uh, I assume that the crowd are going to be more pro Medvedev come the final, just because they probably want a, a new champion. But I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll you know they they view Novak as their as their you know their champion down in Broad Labour Arena. I don't know, but it will be interesting because I think actually yeah, Medvedev and Novak they are. They are quite similar, I think, in, in certain ways, aren't they? Going back to kind of comments earlier in the, in the tournament from Dominic team about, you know, the fact that he's not a machine, uh, you know, he's, he's a human. There's only so much he can do. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, contrary to that, I think Medvedev and Djokovic, I think if there are kind of two players at the moment who you would class as machines, I think it's, I think it's those two players and Medvedev has shown that he is, a machine in the number of kind of wins that he's had but more to the more to that he has defeated Kim 12 top 10 players in his 20 match winning streak which is really really impressive I don't if you compare that to Naomi Osaka's 20 match winning streak I don't think it's it's that it's quite that sort of level of quality that she's faced and I think that's going to really help Medvedev in the final that you know the caliber of players that he's had to face and beat um you know along along the way i think he's going to really help him in that final and you know he's in he's in the best form possible but he's coming up against novak djokovic i almost kind of feel kim like you know we were speaking about the you know the medvedev uso you know uso sorry american series um streak a couple of years ago uh you know he went into that final against the dal in, in flushing meadow on the back of a really long streak as well and again it's a similar situation but you know, with Novak Djokovic in the final. Is he going to fall at the final hurdle again? You know, he did so well at that US Open final mm. as well to, to come back from two sets, only to kind of not manage to, to pull off, you know, the full comeback. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting one, isn't it? And I mean, just a note on Sitsipas, like this, that was his third semi-final at Slam now. Obviously, he hasn't won any of them. He did come... Um, well, he, he did have a very good performance against Novak, though, didn't he, in the Roland Garros semi-final. Brought that one back to a fifth set. So he, I feel like he's getting closer, and I feel it's only perhaps a matter of time before he does you know, get into a Grand Slam final. But I do feel he does have a bit of an issue after a big win at the moment, following it up, and even, even following up whereby you know, you're kind of close to having a chance. He just seemed... It just never, I never thought that he would, I, di- I just didn't see him winning today at all. Like, so no. he needs to change it so that he's not kind of so frustrated and tired um, in the ne- in the next round. Like, you've, I know, you know, you've played like however many five set matches, whatever, but that's the whole thing about a Grand Slam is that physically it's best of five over two weeks you've got to last the distance. And, you know, he's very young. <laughs> so it's it's almost a bit, worrying that if he if he was just knackered from from that I, I don't know I think I was reading if if he had got to the final he would have been the youngest I think he would have been the youngest Grand Slam finalist since 
I think Novak Djokovic back in 2008 at the Australian Open. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's, it was something like that. So, you know, he's still a you know, very, very ta- talented player, um, you know, at such a, a young age. But you are right in the sense that his his semi-final record is is 0-3. And, you know, this match particularly, you just didn't, you just didn't feel like he was at any moment, was he going to kind of get to the final apart maybe apart from maybe a little chink of light you know in that in that third set but even so you know yes he came back from two sets down against Rafael Nadal to then do that against Daniel Medvedev playing in in the form that he's in you just yeah you just you just weren't you just weren't confident that was going to happen and um he spoke in his interview about the fact that um you know his his semi-final record and he was kind of quoted saying Playing in a semi-final is a difficult thing. I just need to find a way to get there and just be in the same state of mind. I've proven that I have the level to beat these players. It's not that I haven't, but as Stan Wawrinka's tattoo says, ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail better. So let's hope for something better next time. I really hope it comes. I mean, Kim, I I didn't realise that was what Stan Wawrinka's tattoo actually said. Oh, I think it is. And I don't, I don't know whose <laughs> words they are originally or whether Stan has just made that up. Cause if so, he's a great philosopher. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that quote. You, you have to sort of pick yourself up and try again. And I understand the whole concept of failing better. And yeah, I think, um, you know, we know that Sitspas is a deep thinker. So if that's going to help him, I feel like, yeah, he's probably got a case of imposter syndrome when you, you know, getting to these latter stages as well. You know, do do I belong here? Um, which can obviously inflict people with just, you know, so much um, tension. And yeah, we'll have to see. Um, obviously, Roland Garris is the next slam and he, you know, made the semis there last year. So um, he's got chances. I mean, he's got chances at all the slams. You know, he plays well on all surfaces. So, um, but yeah, loving, loving the quote from Stan's tattoo there. Um, let's just have a look back at the Djokovic semi-final, Joel, because this one also was very par for the course. And I know we were guessing like how many games Aslan Karatsev would get. I think we were kind of on the right radar because he, he ended up getting nine games, uh, six, three, six, four, six, two, just under two hours. Um, Novak won in straight sets. Um, but I, I thought Aslan Karatsev did himself Fairly mm. proud. He um he had a chance, didn't he, in that second set to to break back. Um and like I mean they would have been really interesting if, if at the end he'd managed to do that. But um yeah, I was quite impressed overall with, with what I saw, especially in those early stages. He wasn't, you know, overcome, which was very, very good to see. I don't think he was suffering from impost like imposter syndrome, even though you you think he might do, given that, you yeah. know, he was a Russian given he was a qualifier, yeah, outside the top hundred on Grand Slab debut making a semi-final really incredible incredible effort um again I think he, he didn't he didn't do himself a disservice against Djokovic he played way I thought he played way above his his ranking of uh you know world number 114 so you know all credit to him but yeah this really was Novak Djokovic business as usual which we can't we haven't really had the opportunity to say kind of to say too often over the last two weeks. And I think that's what made this victory so positive for him was the fact that it it was so routine because, you know, going back to week one, Kim, you know, obviously Taylor Fritz took him to to five sets. The match against TFO as well was a real, real battle as well. Um, he, He kind of said after the match, I think that, He's he now feels kind of fully fit, and you know a lot of his fans will say you know he's peaking at the the right time, and 
you know, you, you can't argue against it. I mean, I think he hit like one unforced error or something in the first 15 through kind of 15 games. It's just, it was just like, <laughs> this was just back to kind of the Djokovic. I think that we were all kind of expecting from, from day one in Melbourne. Yeah, he um he said that he he feels much much better now as well um with his you know his injury that that happened in in that Taylor Fritz match. He was you know obviously hitting the ball very well. Didn't look troubled like you know he had before and he was sort of suffering a bit of aggravation against uh, Ryanic and Zverev. So I think he's he's doing he's he's doing very well going into the final. I think he had a massive panic and scare, you know, when he got that injury and I think he's just very pleased with obviously how how it's gone and how he's managing to play with it and almost seems to be honest fully recovered now so I um I think it's the Djokovic of old I think we we shouldn't I don't think even think about the injury going into that final because I don't think it's an issue anymore he's peaking just as it as he needs to at the right moment and yes you know he did have a an easier semi-final against you know Karatsev who no offense just was never going to cut the mustard against uh the world number one but I think um yeah it's all it's all looking quite swimming uh, swimmingly for for Novak I suppose and obviously he will be concerned about Medvedev that's probably is his toughest opponent that he could have probably faced coming into this um into this final, but I think he's just going to do what he does, what he normally does. Joel, I, I still have Novak as the favourite. Uh, I, despite Medvedev's win streak, I, I, I still can't. I think that's the question because I, I feel like Medvedev has. If you just looked at this tournament, these two weeks, and you looked at the tennis being played, I feel like Medvedev has played the better, more efficient tennis. I think mm. he spent like five hours less on the court than, than Djokovic. And 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 from that, I, I would almost kind of say, well, actually, is Daniel Medvedev the, the man to beat here? It's not Novak Djokovic. It's, it's Daniel Medvedev if you if you go on form. But <laughs> then if you kind of take in the, the bigger picture of, of Novak Djokovic, was it eight, eight, eight times, eight time champion? Yeah, yeah. Eight time champion, uh, has never lost the final uh, on, Rod, on Rod Laver Arena. You know, then you kind of, I guess you go kind of sway it back to, to Djokovic. But I do, I do wonder if actually Medvedev is the, is the form, is the form player. And I don't, I don't think, yes, I know that, you know, we've seen, I think we've seen kind of easier routes, you know, obviously that, that Djokovic has gone through to get to the, to get to the final here. But I think Medvedev is going to be a really, really stern examination for him and he's probably quite relieved if he doesn't feel that injury anymore he's probably quite relieved because if there is one player I think that would be able to sort of make the most of it in a final it's probably Daniel Medvedev yeah I think overall he's had generally the better tournament the better form but I just think actually when push comes to shove you can kind of ignore that going into the final almost and like just you know wipe the slate clean. And I mean, interestingly, like their head to head, it's four to three in favor of Novak and Daniel Medvedev won the last one at the, um, not the world tour finals, the ATP uh, finals <laughs> last year. And, um, uh, previously when Medvedev was on that, that long streak, you know, in the U S open series, 2019, he had a win over Novak there in Cincinnati. Um, Interestingly as well, I noticed they played in Eastbourne in 2017 uh, in the semi-final. I think that was the year that Djokovic decided to play Eastbourne. I'd forgotten that Medvedev was kind of around then as well. But but yeah, I mean, it's so it's pretty even, you know, it's not um, a massive one-sided head-to-head. Obviously, they've never met uh, at a 
well, they, they've met at the Grand Slam. They met here two years ago, but that was in the fourth round. But they haven't obviously met in a Grand Slam final. Medvedev's almost a different player now. So it will be really interesting. I don't see it being straight sets. Let's just say that much. <laughs> I think Novak's going to win, but I think it will be um, at least four sets. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel, uh, you know, that, 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 the manner of that result, um, in the ATP tour finals, six, three, six, three, Daniel Medvedev just shows, I think that he can just sort of, you know, his, his level can go to a point where he could routine a player of, you know, the caliber of, of Novak Djokovic. I think the question is, yeah, he's a completely different player, I think, from that round of 16 match at the, the Australian Open in, in 2019. And I think it's whether he can have that sort of routine, he's able to enforce that routine um, sort of play uh, in, a, in a best of five set format. And because because I like to think of him, Kim, as this machine that he just kind of gets on with it, he eats, you know, victories for breakfast, etc. I do think he has the capability of winning kind of three sets with relative ease, I think, against someone like a Novak Djokovic. Whether he can do that in straight sets, I'm I'm not as confident on, but I do think that he can he can he can do it. And you know, we saw how hard he pushed Nadal in that in that US Open final um, you know, a few a few seasons ago. For me, there's no reason, there is absolutely no reason why he can't do a similar sort of thing to, to Novak Djokovic and push him to a fifth set. Yeah, no, I get your point. I just think there's something in the stars or some kind of fate that I think Novak's just still going to win this tournament despite all that <laughs> injury malarkey. I just feel like, oh, you know, he's still going to do it. I, I can't, I'm not going to bet against an eight-time champion on his, you know, his territory. But I, I, you know, I'm hoping we get a fantastic final. I'd be really happy to see Medvedev get his first slam title. I think he'd be deserved champion, obviously, if, if that do you came, think he's ready? came to it. I think he's ready. But I just think Novak is still, I think Medvedev's ready, but I just, Novak is just almost just a blockage, you know, like mm. if there's someone that would deny Medvedev, then Novak is probably the only person. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Cause I, I think, you know, the, the only thing I can think about this, the other way I can sort of think about this match is that, you know, for Novak Djokovic on Rod Laver Arena in Australian Open final, as I was kind of saying at the beginning of the podcast, it's a bit like, Rafael Nadal on on Philip Chatrier and it's mm. and because of that it's almost like it's it's more than a match it's yeah. like he's almost kind of like defending his territory and you're playing history aren't you Medvedev's not just playing Novak mm. he's playing what does it mean for Novak you know to be on this court and in an Australian Open final he's playing against you know that that just genius basically so <laughs> it's there's a whole lot more to it than just a typical match which you'd get at the at the ATP finals for example so yeah very very interesting uh I can't wait I'm gonna have a lovely I'm gonna make a like a nice brunch I think on Sunday <laughs> and just like eat my way through the final <laughs> um right let's talk about doubles um for a bit Joel because we have had um some doubles finals already uh some have been set but we have had uh Elise Mertens and Arena Sabalenka winning the women's doubles. Um, they've had a great tournament. They they came through. They won that pretty comfortably, six two six three against Krzyzewska and Sinyakova. Although interestingly, though, um, 
after they've you know done all their celebration, their jump with the trophies like they normally do, they said they're not going to be playing together for the rest of the year at the Grand Slams. Um, they want to focus on their singles, which is understandable. You know, they're both like top singles players. And I guess they probably get to the point where they're like, okay, we've had success in doubles. We've won, you know, two slam titles together, but this isn't why we started playing tennis. You know, we really need to focus on our singles games now. We we have been speaking about this on the podcast, particularly with in, in terms of Sabalenka. I feel like over the last six months or so, in terms of the you know the fact that if she really wants to elevate her game, um, you know, in, in the singles arena, I think she's going to have to kind of park park doubles aside. So I, I think this is a, I think almost actually for both of these players, it's a bit of a no brainer decision. And you know the fact that you know sabalenka pushed serena williams to you know three sets pushed her quite close actually i think maybe that was a moment where she kind of realized look this is this is how good i am i was very close to beating one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest of all time um at the, the australian open and with a bit more sort of application to the singles game and less focus on the doubles you know she she might be able to kind of put herself in that bracket of future grand slam singles champion i mean she's only 22 years old um she's got i feel like she's got the power you know like a, like a naomi osaka maybe it's not as refined at the moment but again it, it just make it just feels like it makes sense that they kind of park doubles for now and see kind of how it impacts on their singles you know, I don't. Of course, this doesn't feel like the end of of Mertens and Sabalenka. I think they're still going to be playing some one uh, thousands together and and the odd tournament outside of outside of majors. But I think for both of them, yeah, it's just like it's just the right time, isn't it? <laughs> they say that, and then come the French Open, they'll both be with different partners, <laughs> <laughs> pissing the other one off, like Nicolas Mahou did to um or no who, with uh, Pierre Hugues oh, yes, did course, to Mahou. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of those finalists, Krasichkova, um, she is into the mixed doubles final, so a bit of a silver lining for her. She's she's playing with Rajiv Ram actually, and she's going to be playing against uh, Sam Stoza. And Matt Ebden. So Aussie hopes are still alive in the mixed doubles. They they could win the mixed doubles title. And yeah, that's quite nice because Matt Ebden, I don't know where he is in the singles these days, mm. but I haven't seen him in the singles draw for quite a while. It's a bit of a throwback, actually, yeah. Stozer and Ebden in the in the mixed doubles <laughs> final. I don't think Sam Stozer also has been in a Grand Slam final for a long time. Yeah. Listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, they beat uh, Joe Salisbury in that uh, mixed doubles semi-final. Very, very close, 10-8 on the, the match tiebreak. Mm. But Joe Salisbury is into the men's doubles final because him and Rajiv Ram came through against uh, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez 6-4-7-6. So uh, Joe Salisbury won the Battle of the Brits and they've beaten, um, well, you know, Jamie Murray was unbeaten uh, since the start of the season back back with Bruno Suarez. So uh, Joe and Rajiv will be playing Dodig and Palasic in the men's doubles final, um, which I was a bit surprised at because Dodig and Palasic beat Mektic and Pavic um, in a three-setter on Thursday. So I was quite surprised that Pavic and uh, Mektic lost that one, but I think it was a very, very close match. And uh, yeah, I'm really hoping, obviously, that Joe can defend his title from last year. Yeah, I think they definitely would have taken Dodig and, and Palasek over Mektic and, and Pavic in, in a final. Yeah, really, I think really impressive stuff from from Joe Salisbury. I think it opens Kim. I just think it opens the debate uh, a bit more for you know British tennis. 
British tennis fans, you know, the fact that Joe Salisbury beat Jamie Murray in the, in the semi-finals. I mean, are we are we getting to a point now where we all know that Jamie Murray is a fantastic a fantastic doubles player on his day, but are we getting to a point now where actually is Joe Salisbury is he the number one British males doubles player at the moment? Would you say? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, and I think. You know, over the last year, 18 months, he has been our best doubles player. He's also slightly younger than Jamie Murray, so he's got a bit more ahead of him. I'm not saying Jamie Murray's done yet, <laughs> far from it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think Joe Salisbury is, 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 is our number one for sure. And it's interesting as a Davis Cup, uh, you know, prospect. I don't think Joe Salisbury's really had much involvement in Davis no. Cup before. Yeah. I feel like he's getting, you know, he's been left aside. But I mean, J- Jamie and Joe playing doubles together would have to be a, a great team on on paper. So I assume, you know, Davis Cup speaking, that would be our go to doubles pairing. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't feel like that pairing has ever really been been thought of. Mm. Um, but I think I feel like now because Murray and Skupski obviously departed ways, and that was an all British team, um, and they and, you know they they kind of went separate ways at the end of, of last season, and now we're in this situation where our two best British, our two best British male doubles players play with foreign partners. It, it is a bit kind of like if you put them together, are they going to be as good as yeah. You know, what, yeah, their rankings are or whatever in mm. the, you know, with, with foreign partners. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, it will be, I think it will be an experiment if, if they do do that um, at, uh, you know, at, um, you know, at Davis cup, if Davis cup returns, when Davis cup returns, I, I don't even know, but I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the kind of thinking is from Leon Smith and the team around who that doubles team is, because yeah, Joe Salisbury is really kind of asserting himself as the the male British number one del- doubles player for you know I reckon probably for for this season certainly last season and uh, yeah Jamie Murray's probably in a bit more of a challenger position in terms of you know he's going to have to prove it I think again with with Bruno Suarez in terms of you know what his caliber is. I think we should try and uh, adopt Rajiv Ram. Can, can we make him British? <laughs> Give him a British passport. Yes, absolutely. And then, <laughs> like, then that solves it, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I really like his pairing with Joe. I think they're really sweet. Um, but it's just rounding up on some other results, Joel. Uh, in the quad wheelchair event, we had Dylan Alcott uh, winning his seventh successive AO title. Uh, he absolutely thrashed Sam Schroeder in that singles final. Um, so obviously he's he's making history in his own way. He is, you know, the Novak Djokovic um, of the quad event and just absolutely dominates, uh, especially <laughs> nice for him at home to, to take home another AO title. So um, that was really good to see. And women's wheelchair events, uh, <laughs> your favourite, De Groot, uh, has won the singles and the doubles. So... Oh. I was very pleased for you, Joel, that uh, <laughs> she came through. And yeah, obviously in the doubles, she played with Van Coot. Uh, but they did actually beat Lucy Shuker in that doubles final. So a uh, bit of a shame, you know, for British perspectives. But um, yeah, I think also just to round up other action at Melbourne Park, not AO, but the Phillip Island Trophy. We had Daria Kazakina winning that one. Uh, she came through in three sets against Marie Buzkova in the final 4-6-6-2-6-2. So that's actually the third title for Kazakina, but it's her first title in over two years. And it's been a long time that she's been kind of 
down and out because at one point she was, you know, a top 10 player. She was, you know, making, making waves. She was getting to finals of, um, you know, 1000 events. And it's been a long time since she's been up there. And definitely, I think, you know, hopefully this is kind of the start of her renaissance. Yeah, I feel like all I know her from the last few weeks is the fact that she beat uh, Katie Bolter twice. But um, yeah, she's really been really impressive in in the Phillip Island Trophy. That um, yeah, I feel almost kind of feel like we've we've almost a little bit forgotten about because the Australian Open is still going on. But um, very, very, very impressive. Um, that semi final as well between Bushkova and, and Andrescu was a real barnstormer. I mean, I think it went like it was like three hours plus six seven six two seven five was real. Real, real battle and great, I think, to see Andrescu back in a, a semi-final. I think she'll be a little bit disappointed she wasn't able to reach the final. But yeah, uh, really good stuff from Kasatkina. She said in her, um, she said it afterwards that um, she was talking about working with a psychologist over the last two years has kind of really kind of helped her. And again, it, you know, I think this is a general kind of theme in, in sport and, and particularly in tennis, we've seen that players kind of working on their mental game and Naomi Osaka as well um, has really kind of paid dividends you know Osaka, Sviantec, Kasatkina and it feels like it's becoming a lot more of an essential part of the game arguably to have a, a psychologist on your team would you say? Yeah and I think she's been working with a psychologist for a while now so also proof that it doesn't necessarily mm. have instant um yep. ra- you know instant results so you have to stick at it and it's the consistency and you know suddenly it might all click into place and i mean yeah it's it's good to see kazakina back up there because she's been down in the doldrums for quite a while and it's always nice when players can get back up there so joel i think that brings us to a close for today obviously we're both going at soccer for the women's event um what was your final prediction for Djokovic medvedev I am, I'm sensing, Kim, I'm sensing an upset. I'm sensing Medvedev in five. Uh, I think, you know, he's been here before you know, in a Grand Slam final uh, against, you know, with, with that match against uh, Nadal. I think that would have done him a world of good. I think he knows the expectation and the pressure. I think he's going to give it the best, the best crack possible. And yeah, I'm going to go with, with the Russian to continue his streak. So I'm going to go Medvedev in a five set classic. Mm, okay well I mean five set classic that would be quite something I have to say uh, I'm going to slightly disagree with you though I'm just going to go for the big three <laughs> big three player and Djokovic is going to win in four sets there we go and his, his oh, okay. abdomen is going to be perfectly fine <laughs> um, yeah but yeah listeners let us know your predictions what do you think is going to happen uh, we hope you'll be able to you know, join in and watch it all live um, as it unfolds over the weekend. And of course, we will be back on Sunday with a catch up pod uh, looking back over the two finals. And make sure to subscribe to The Passing Shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on the tennis world and the Australian Open with The Passing Shot. If you have been enjoying our coverage over the last two weeks in Melbourne, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at passing shot pod so do give us a like do give us a follow tell all your friends as well who who like tennis and they can uh, you know give us a follow as well and if you'd like to get in touch you can do so on social media or you can drop us an email passing at gmail.com 
And we will be back on Sunday for our final round by round catch up, reflecting on the men's and women's finals. So I hope you can join us for that. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy looking forward to finals weekend as much as we are at Passing Shot HQ. And we'll see you again soon.